All right, all right, all right. What's up, Art Conference? How you guys feeling? Come on now. I know we come from small towns, but how you guys feeling? You feeling good? All right, awesome. Hey, my name is Mitch. My, uh, I, my wife, Whitney, and I, we planted in Piedmont, uh, in, in Piedmont, the Piedmont Triad of North Carolina uh, in 2014. So just a few years ago, we're about to turn four years old. But uh, one of the first people I met when uh, I, I decided to plant a church, I didn't even know what a church plant was, was a guy named Chris Van Buskirk. Yeah, he was a friend of a friend, and he was pastoring in a place that nobody had ever heard of. Come on, somebody. How many of you are in small towns? It's called Chillicothe. Try to say that. Say it, Chillicothe. All right, yeah, it was, if you tried to read it, though, it was not that easy. And so, uh, and so uh, Pastor Chris and his wife, Kristen, uh, they planted in Chillicothe, Ohio, about nine years ago. Is that right? And, um, and they just have been plowing in a city of about 20,000 people. And, uh, and they're nine years old now. And this past Easter, they had 2,200 people. Come on, can we give God praise for that? That's 10% of the city. Crazy. And, uh, and so Pastor Chris is one of those guys they told me about, and he was, uh, he was there and, and planting, he had planted that church, and it was phenomenal, but he was one of the guys who believed in me and, uh, and believed in my wife, and so they gave me the honor just to introduce him today. Uh, we just want to start a couple minutes early because the room's full. How many of you know you made it in? Look at somebody beside you say, you made it. You made it because a lot of people didn't. There's a lot of people out there trying to listen in. So we wanted to give Chris as much time as he, as he ha could have to, uh, to speak to you and give you a lot of time for questions and answers. So without further ado, come on, let's put our hands together for Pastor Chris Van Buskirk. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Pastor Mitch. I love you, man. I, I love a lot of people in this room. I see a lot of familiar Faces, Pastor Daryl Nichols, killing it in Portsmouth, Ohio. Wave your hand at everybody, Pastor Pastor Daryl. Uh, how big's Portsmouth? Yeah, and you guys had over sixteen hundred people at Easter. How amazing is that? So listen, y'all, telling you. Um, Got to thank another group of people that are in the room. Capusta peeps, where you at? Come on, let me hear you. There we go. All right, so we, we all have a great common friend. His name is Pastor Jeff Capusta. He is a legend. He pastors in Wilmington, North Carolina. Pastor Jason right back here is on his team and a part of his staff, and he has poured into a big group of us in this room. And let that be a reminder to you, kind of the motto of this conference, Better Together, and the motto of ARC is don't do ministry alone. And you know what? This is a bonus because it's not even... Even on the content, but if you're trying to pastor in a small town alone, you will die alone. Uh, you cannot do that in a small town. You've got to have people. No matter where you are, you've got to have people. But, you know, when we showed up in Chillicothe, Ohio, um, we didn't have anybody to connect with. We didn't have anybody uh, that we knew in the state. We were ARC plant number 111. We were the first ARC plant in the state of Ohio. There were a couple other partners, but no planters yet. And we went through a season where, where we just felt alone. And our growth story was not uh, sexy and overnight, okay? <laughs> so you'll sit in breakouts and app sessions today where people will tell you, it's been an only God kind of story. It's been an only God kind of story that we're still alive, all right? That's... <laughs> That was kind of our story, and I've got to give some more honor and love to some people in the house. My wonderful wife is right up here. Kristen, babe, wave at everybody. Can you say hey? And our executive pastors, Matt and Amber Kaiser, are right here. They have been there from day one. Day one, they've been there. And uh, they, they believed in us when it was only us. And you've got to have some people on your team that believe in you when it's only you. And when you have those people, man, you hang on to those you hang on to those people. And so um, here's what I want to do today. Uh, I want to share a little bit of our story, and I want to talk 
about some of what we've learned. And then I really want to open this up for questions at the end. And I, I want to allow some time to do that because I think um, that when we have a chance to ask questions and kind of process things out loud together, that for me, that's one of the most fruitful things that comes from Art Conference is sitting in app sessions like this and just be able to ask questions. Um, I'll tell you if, if I don't have the answer for it. But here's another thing I really want to encourage you to do. When we talk about um, being better together and not doing ministry alone, how many of you in this room are, are pastoring or leading in a town of under 100,000? people. Can I see your hands? Okay, most of you. The rest of you are here because every other app session was full. I got it. Um, but, but here's the thing. I want to encourage you before you leave here today, get some numbers. Get some emails. Start following some people on Instagram that are in this room that are in a small town like you because you need to be able to think through and process stuff with guys that are going through similar things that you're going through in similar towns and cities. And so I just want to encourage you um, to be relational and to make some new connections before you leave this room today. Uh, it, it's not weird. We're at a conference. So if you're looking at the person to your left or your right and they look cool, or even if they don't look cool, tell them you want their number. <laughs> and put the pressure on them to say no. Let me give you the Cliff Notes version of our story. Uh, both my, my wife and I, we grew up in different churches, um, an hour apart. We had that high school romance. We fell in love at a youth camp. I'm not even making this up. It's true. We grew up um, in charismatic, tongue-speaking, flag-waving churches. Come on, how many, how many flag-waving, tongue-speaking churches? And so, you know, when you, when you asked a guest to come with you, you always knew that you were going to have to answer a question later about why they got hit in the face with a flag, like why somebody was dancing with the flag. Um, some of y'all, it's awkward right now because your church is still like that. And you're like, man, that's still us. And that's why you don't have first-time guests, just maybe, just maybe. Was that too much, too early? I feel like family in here going off the cuff already. Um, I love the church. I loved the church. I, I loved my charismatic, tongue-speaking, flag-waving church. And my dad was a pastor. Um, my wife's dad was a worship leader. And we grew up in love with the church, in love with Jesus. And so when we started uh, to get serious in our relationship, went off to college, we were intending to do something completely different with our lives than plan a church or be on staff at a church, or pastor a church, but we always knew the church would be a part of our, a part of our heart and a part of our life. And so uh, while we were in school, junior year, between junior and senior year, took an internship in Cincinnati, Ohio, and that's where uh, my wife and I thought we'd be moving back to after school. Uh, it was kind of far enough away from home um, to still be far away from home, but close enough to still get back when we had kids and needed a babysitter, that kind of thing. And so we thought we would be in Cincinnati, and we walked into a church service on a Saturday night at a church we'd never been to before, and had one of those only Jesus kind of moments. Um, both of us just started to weep uncontrollably, and I felt like something was wrong with me, and uh, she felt like something was wrong with her, and we left, and we got in the car, and we said, what was that? And we just kind of committed to praying through it, like God's trying to do something, and to make a long story short, what we would realize during the course of that summer is that God was revealing to us that a church like that in Cincinnati did not exist in Chillicothe, Ohio. A life-giving church where people far from God could draw close to God, it didn't exist in our town. And there were a lot of good people and a lot of good churches doing good things, but Chillicothe is an hour south of Columbus. 
It is a town of right around 22,000 people in a county of about 77,000 people. And there are churches everywhere you go, over 130 churches in the county. But um, a lot of people that believe in God are open to this idea of God, but they left the church. And through a really just incredible and profound moment for my wife and I as we were praying through this during the summer, on the same day in a different way, God just began to show us faces of all the people that had left the church that we grew up with. And at one point, church was a part of their life and it wasn't anymore. And we realized that God was kind of creating this full circle moment, using that experience in another church to show us what a life-giving church could be. And we knew by the end of that summer that we had to call an audible on everything that we thought we were going to do with our five-year plan and go and plant this church. And we were restless about it. We, we argued a lot with God about it. Um, we argued about a lot of different things. We, we didn't feel equipped to go do it. Um, even growing up in ministry, we'd never been on staff at a ministry, and we thought maybe there needed to be a season of waiting. But God just confirmed over and over again, no, go now and trust me with the consequences. And y'all... When God tells you to go now and trust him with the consequences, you go now and you trust him with the consequences. And so that's what we did. And when we told uh, my parents and her parents, they kind of both laughed and said, we're glad you got the memo. We always knew God was going to do this. And uh, something I really learned from my dad that I so believe in, so believe in, and, and it's, I think, why we have felt so connected at ARC. It takes diverse churches to reach a diverse world. And so what I really don't want to do today is, is try to even give you a one-size-fits-all formula because God has gifted all of us in this room in different and unique ways, and it is so important for us to be who God called us to be. And so I don't, I don't want to give you um, the formula. I, I want to give you just some thoughts and some, and some strategies that maybe you can chew on a little bit. And I'm going to just trust that the Holy Spirit's going to do what he's going to do in this session and encourage you the way that you need um, encouraged. And, and my prayer is that by learning not just from some of our successes, but our failures. I mean, I, I got to listen, you, you showing love. I, I love that man. We did have over 2,000 people at Easter. Listen, hear me when I say this, okay? It took us almost nine years to do that. And, and so it really has not been easy. Um, our growth has always been slow and steady. And when we're talking this morning about digging, right, got to keep digging, got that is what church planning has felt like for us for nine years is we're just going to keep digging. We're just going to keep, keep, be open to what God calls us to do when he calls us to do it. And we're going to step out and trust him with the consequences. And so um, I want you to know some things that I believe before we get going today, because it's really going to shape where we're going. I believe God likes using small towns to do big things. There is no gospel without Bethlehem, right? Wow. And so I think it's important for us to remember that we serve a God who is in the business of using ordinary people and places to do extraordinary things, to grow and to build his kingdom. Uh, that's the first thing I believe. This, this, this second thing I believe I've already alluded to, but I'm going to say it again. I believe we are better together. And so don't do ministry alone. Don't even try to do that. You've got to have people that can be in your corner that can cheer you on. I wouldn't be where I am. We wouldn't be where we are without that. Uh, here's the other thing. I believe everyone can learn something today. So a lot of you in this room are pastoring in a smaller town. Uh, I believe I can learn from you. I believe maybe you can learn something from me. But even if you're in a larger town today, or even if you feel like, hey, you know what? I've heard some of this before. Just trust the Holy Spirit enough that if you lean in and uncross your arms, he might drop something in your heart that you needed today. And even if you don't need it today, maybe you're going to need it in your tomorrow and what he's calling you to later. And so uh, with that said, I want to pray and then I want to jump right into this. God, thank you for small towns. 
Thank you that you use small towns to do incredibly big things for your kingdom. And God, I just pray that every single leader and pastor in this room would step in to the big, crazy, audacious dreams you've planted in their heart for their small little town. I know that they hear probably all the time about how it's not going to work, about how they can't do it. God, we can do it with you on our side. And so we ask you that you would just help us to all leave here today encouraged. And as we look around this room, may we just remember and and recognize that we are not doing this thing by ourselves, that we've got other people that are in small towns just like us, and we can grow and learn together so that we can get better. We love you, and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, let me give you some thoughts here. Um, The first thing I want to give you is this, and Jason, you didn't even know you were going to tee this up, but we were just having a a conversation because Jason is in a situation where he's been at LifePoint in Wilmington, North Carolina, big church, great budget, awesome staff, and they moved you to where, Jason? Leland, Leland, North Carolina. And how big is that campus right now? Come on, go ahead and tell everybody. So from thousands to hundreds to, put, to pastor a church and a multi-site campus at, at LifePoint. And um, Jason was telling me something that I thought was just really cool. And again, it sets up this first point so well. You have to love your city like you own your city. If you're in a small town, you've got to love your city like you own your city. I think this is true no matter what city you're in. But I think it takes a supernatural kind of love to love the small city that you're in. You've got to really love that. And Jason was sharing with me how um, him and his wife were still living in Wilmington and they're just now getting ready to move to Leland and they're moving because God has supernaturally grown their love for the city that they are now pastoring in. I I want to challenge you today that if you are here and you don't have a supernatural love for your city, you need to pray that the Holy Spirit will work on your heart with that because you will never be able to do everything God calls you to do if you don't love your city like God needs you to love your city. I I think about the story of Nehemiah. We've been in a season where as we get ready to step into our first building, um, we did what a lot of churches do. We use Nehemiah to raise money, right? And to talk about this big audacious vision and oh, look what God did when people stepped out. But here's the part of Nehemiah's story that I think we forget. We know on the other side of the story that Nehemiah was rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. And we hear the city of Jerusalem, we think big city. It was in ruins when Nehemiah got there. It was the definition of a forgotten city. I mean, people were literally living on the outskirts of the city instead of in the city because it reminded them of a past that they wanted to forget. And some of you have been called to cities where there are people living on the outskirts of your city because there are people that literally don't want to be in the city that you have been called to. And I am telling you, God wants to grow your love for that city. Pastor Craig Groeschel Um, said something once that just rattled me. Some of you will have heard this. It it might be new. Please don't give credit to me. It was all Pastor Craig Groeschel. But he said um, one time at a conference I was at, in order to reach people nobody else is reaching, you have to do things nobody else is doing, right? Well, I would add something to that. I think that in order to reach people nobody else is reaching, you also have to go where no one else is going. And so the unique thing about being positioned in small towns is that there are a lot of people, even a lot of people at this conference that feel called by God to big cities. And that is amazing. We are in the great state of Ohio and we have phenomenal churches in Cincinnati, in Cleveland, in Columbus. We've got one of the fastest growing churches in two of those cities. We've got one of the largest churches in Cincinnati and the entire United States. Crossroads is the third largest church in the country and they're right 
in Cincinnati, Ohio. God's doing amazing things in those cities, but he's called us to a small city. And more than a small city, God has grown our heart for more forgotten cities in our state that don't have a life-giving church. And so we are running after and running towards the places and the cities where no one else is going so that we can reach people that nobody else is, is going to reach. I really believe that small town churches are uniquely positioned to do something big and significant for the kingdom of God um, in a mighty way, in a significant way. I think that people in small towns are, are hungry, and I think that when you are in a small town, it gives you a unique opportunity to both know the needs of your city in such an intimate way that maybe you wouldn't in a larger city, and not just to know them, and hear me when I say this, but to respond to them when you begin to, to see and recognize some of the needs in your city. And so love your city like, you're, like you own your city. Take ownership of it. Get to know people that will help you learn what your city needs. And as you get a pulse on your city, God will continue to grow your heart for that city. The second thing is this. Embrace your limitations without lowering your expectations. Embrace your limitations without lowering your expectations. Stop making excuses for why you can't do it because you're in a small town. Stop making those excuses for why you can't do it. Um, I think when we do that as pastors and as leaders, it reveals that we're taking a meal-minded approach to growing our church. Um, we're just very satisfied with, hey, we've done this thing, but we're not going to go to that next thing because that, that won't work here. Um, we've had a lot of that can't works at Center, at Center Point Church. That won't work. Uh, I remember when we first started, um, in Chillicothe, we were the first truly portable church that ever tried to have church. And, and when I say that, here's what I mean. Everybody else that was portable had a building campaign from day one, okay? So they might be meeting in a storefront, but it was for a season and they were going to get a building. And even in that, they still weren't really doing set up and tear down every week. And so here we come and we start having a conversation with the only movie theater in our city, only one. And I remember meeting with the manager and having a conversation about how we wanted to have church. And he looked at me like I was an idiot. And I felt like I was an idiot when I was talking to him because he's asking me, how is this going to work? I don't know how it's going to work. We don't have any idea how this is going to work. We just feel like if we were able to meet at your theater, we would be able to reach some people that wouldn't normally come to a church. And he looked at me. I'll never forget what he said. He said, can I just be honest with you? The last time I had an interaction with a church in this town was when they were boycotting us because we were showing the Harry Potter movies. <laughs> And I said, well, here's the good news. Our people will probably go watch the Harry Potter movie <laughs> after we have church. And, and, and so um, we, we had the whole it's not going to work in a theater thing. I remember there was a legendary pastor in our town, a pastor for a long time, and he grabbed me after a National Day of Prayer thing once, and he said, I love your heart, young man, but this, th this church thing in the theater is never going to work here. It's never going to work here. You're going to have to have a building here. And he thought he was trying to encourage me um, <laughs> and let me know what was up. And then we, and then we moved from the theater um, and doing multiple services there to the school that we're in now. And again, we heard all the people telling us, hey, that's not going to work. Y'all, listen, we got so, I don't know if there's ever been a church that got more excited about moving from a portable location to another portable location. But you would have thought we bought that school. We did a campaign called the Crater Campaign, and we raised $30,000 in nine weeks to upgrade our sound and our kids. Come on, church planners, where you at? 
$30,000 so we could get more gates and some bigger speakers and more lights. And you would have thought we were going to own that place when we went in. But we had people saying, this is never going to work here. This is, ne this is never going to work here. But, but here's, here's what I, I feel like I really learned as, as a leader when it comes to expectations. You will in a small town have limitations. You will have limitations wherever you are. And those limitations are your limitations. But excellence always attracts excellence. And so what you don't want to do, especially in a small town, is keep lowering your expectations yeah. and not pushing people to do better and go farther and run faster because we can't do that. We're, we're in a small town. And let me define excellence for you because I think sometimes um, we, we live in this, you know, in this bubble, right? Especially at ARC, we live in the ARC bubble. It is an ARC bubble. The ARC lead team leaders would tell you this is an ARC bubble, right? Where we've got a lot of awesome churches doing a lot of awesome things and we come into Church of the Highlands and we think, God, give me this. <laughs> Right. This is this is what this is what I want. And we say to ourselves things like this, even if we don't say it to our leaders, we think it. Well, if I had, I could do. If I had that, I could do this. But here's what excellence is. The simplest definition of excellence you could get is excellence is doing the best with what you have. Not what you want, not even what you think you need, but excellence is doing the best with what you already have. And there are some of us that get so consumed with seasons of praying God will give us more. Why would God give me more if I'm not stewarding well what I already have? If I'm just constantly making excuses about how I need that worship leader and I need that building and I need that kid's person and, and I got to have this facility issue fixed. And if I just had, listen, y'all, if I can just be, can I just reveal my heart to you and some of the insecurity I deal with when I see church planners now want, launching with massive LED wall screens? <laughs> And I got a projector that there's still a tiny little hole in it we're trying to cover up until we get our building. And I'm like, come on. If I had that LED screen, they're launching with that LED screen. And I'm trying to get one when we get in our building. Listen, when it comes to leading people, especially people in a small town, a lot of people in the small town that you're in have never been pushed by anybody to do better and be bigger and think bigger. It's amazing the potential God will release in their life and unleash in their life when you have the audacity and the faith to look at them and challenge them that maybe there's more than what they've been living. Maybe there's more than what they've been seeing. And I am driven by this idea, and we talk about this a lot in our church, that if God gave his best for us, how can we give him anything less? And so that means you might have to leave here and you might have to have some hard conversations because Sister Sally's got a good heart, but she can't sing and she should not be singing. And you've been saying, yeah, but we're in a small town and they give a lot. Well, the thing is, though, you know what? Sometimes when we find ourselves in situations like that as leaders, what we fail to understand is that we are actually we are actually being irresponsible with the gifts God has given them because God has given her another gift and it's not singing. But if I let her keep singing on my stage because we're in a small town, it'll be a big deal if I don't let her sing anymore, what I'm actually doing as her pastor, as a leader, is I am holding her back from whatever her true gift is. Because everybody sitting in the seats knows it's not that. And, and I'm picking on Sally singing, right? But you can name that thing. Some of them are way less visible than that. But, but y'all know, I think we struggle with this sometimes in a small town because everybody knows everything. And listen, I, I love my, my friends in bigger cities that can fire somebody and nobody even knew that they fired them, right? They just disappeared. That'd be great. You fire somebody everybody's going to know it. People are going to put you on topics talking about it, right? It's going to be there. They're going to put a Facebook post out about it and you're going to have to deal with it. You have to embrace your limitations without lowering your expectations. Don't apologize.
apologize for asking people to give their best when that's what God gave us. Next thing is this. Don't forget that the experience is ultimately about relationships. Um, for those of you that were in the, the session, uh, I kind of jumped at this because I didn't know Pastor John was going to ask me a follow-up question, and so I, I kind of chopped to this. But something that um, I think we did a really bad job at early on is we focused so much on the experience that we forgot in seasons why we were doing that. It's all about people. It's all about people. And I do think there was a season, and I think we're on the other side of that season now, where God really used the experience to draw people that would not normally connect with church. But now, the way a lot of us are doing church, it's becoming more normalized, isn't it? And so just because you dim the lights during worship and put turn on the haze machines, that's not unique anymore. There's a lot of churches doing that now. And so I think there's a good thing, a really good thing coming out of this. And I think God is taking a lot of us. And, and this is something where I think larger cities have been ahead of the curve on this because those of us in smaller towns are behind the curve sometimes when it comes to the way we do an experience. And so we started having great experiences, and then we had to realize, oh, man, but this was all about people. And I forgot this was all about the people. And so we, we got real good at getting people through the front door but not closing the back door. And closing the back door is about building relationships with people. You got to build, people have to know that you care. And we, we get this story. Jesus gives us this image with the Good Samaritan. And I wonder sometimes if in our churches, we've not become like the priest and the Levite instead of the Samaritan. We, we see the person on the side of the road, but we're so busy doing the work of the Lord, right? That we forget that God has called us to that person that's needing and they're broken and we're so busy with getting the transition right that we didn't stop in the lobby to have a conversation and hug a neck and shake a hand and say a prayer and God is doing something special in our our culture at, at center point right now because there has been this this shift with our leaders um, where we've now got leaders that are praying with people just right in the lobby and let me tell you how that used to look for us before. I want to share out of our failures as much as our successes. We would have people that would say, I have a prayer need. And we would say things like this. Did you put that on the comment card? Did you go to the prayer team? We are a prayer team. Yes. Wow. We're empowered and we're enabled. And God has gifted all of us. And not just those of us in this room that are pastors and staff and leaders, but our volunteers. He's empowered them and enabled them too. And so we, we, we have started to undergo this shift where it's like, man, ministry is happening not in a designated space in our building, but all over our building, everywhere, every single week. And the hope is that there's an overflow that comes from that that's, that allows us to keep connecting with people outside of our walls during the week. I, I, I think for me personally, in every healthy church that I've had the chance to observe, relationships have always been a priority. Um, you want to know why, why God is blessing Pastor Chris and Church of the Highlands so much? Meet that man and have a conversation with him because it's all about people and relationships. Kristen and I had the privilege of, of doing our church planner training at New Life Church with Pastor Rick and Michelle Bizet. And one of the things that, that we learned when we were there, man, just so early, was in this amazing church where God is doing incredible things. It's still all about people. It's still all about running after the one. And if you want to find a church that God has put his hand on and he, and he is blessing them, I promise you that when you start getting around the leaders of that church, you will find that they are keeping the main things, the main things. And the main things are Jesus and people. And if we get priorities that get out of, out of whack with those two things, we're, we're going to miss the mark. So we can't forget that the experience is all about relationships. Um, 
encourage you just practically speaking real quick on, on what that looks like. We talked about um, talking and, and praying with people in the lobby. Groups are such a huge part of this. You've got to have a great small group community in your church. Um, and I would, I would argue that it's got to be really good if you're in a small town. Um, and one of the reasons that, that it's got to be really good if you're in a small town uh, leads us to this next point, which is establish a culture of care by empowering people that care. This is the part of this app session where I tell you that I think I have learned I am a better leader than I am a pastor. I think I'm a terrible pastor sometimes. Um, I think I don't do a great job caring for people all of the times. And yet, when we started our church, uh, because we're in a small town, and a lot of you will relate to this, you are seen as if you are the pastor, if you are the senior leader, it's your job to care for everybody in your church. And so if you're not the one that shows up at the hospital, they got a problem. If you're not the one, how dare you say you can't do their wedding, right? Even though they're the last wedding you want to do, let's be honest. They get mad. And something really funny happened um, a little while ago. Um, we had somebody in our, in our church, they were actually on our team at the time, no longer on our team, um, who said that I was trying to be a celebrity. And that's funny because I'm in a town of 22,000 people. Um, and if you want to be a celebrity pastor, maybe you do. Don't plant in a small town, okay? Just don't do it. <laughs> Um, go plant somewhere like a lot bigger that everybody knows about. But, but it was interesting because I realized that the heart of that came from trying to navigate internally, and they didn't mean anything wrong by it, but they were trying to na navigate some of these shifting priorities that I had. Hey, you used to do, and now you don't do. Um, we used to see you here, and now we don't see you here. And there were some other things on the other side of that that I realized as a leader, I needed to do a better job leading through in that season, some things that I hadn't communicated and articulated well as the visionary, as the senior leader of the church. And so if you're a senior leader in here, make sure you communicate clearly with your teams about where you're heading and why there are certain things shifting and changing and moving. But when it comes to care, you, you cannot do it all if you want to grow a large church in a small town. And here's what you need to understand. Some of you I know are, are here right now where you literally feel this weight of, I can't make that hospital visit. Because um, guess what? I have a marriage and a family too. And if your marriage and your family dies, who cares about the church anyway, right? And a lot of us know that, but we're trying to balance this tension of, yeah, but who else is going to do it? But here's what you need to understand. When people say things like, I wanted the pastor to come, that's not what they mean. That's what they say. Here's what they mean. I just want to know somebody cares. I just want to know somebody loves me. I just want to know that somebody sees me and understands that I'm going through it. And, and what has happened in our church as we begin to empower others, specifically through the form of our small groups, and we've got a great care team that helps people that aren't in our small groups, and we're trying to grow and, and get even better at the way we're caring for, for that group of people. But what happens when you start empowering that group of people is it gives people what they really need, even if it's not what they thought they wanted. Because what they wanted was the pastor. What they needed was to be in relationship with somebody that loves Jesus and loves them. And guess what? I can go pray with somebody in the hospital. You can go pray with somebody in the hospital, but you can't build a thriving relationship with everybody you pray for. You can't build a thriving relationship with everybody you're going to go marry, with everybody you're going to connect with, with everybody you're going to sit down and counsel. I realized a long time ago I'm not a counselor because I don't have patience to tell people the same thing over and over and over again. And so what you have to do as, as a leader is you've got to understand 
um, what your limitations are in regards to care. And then you have to really find some people. Guys, people that care for people, that, that, is, that is a gift. That is a gift from God. And there are people in your church, I promise you, who would love the chance to go visit the hospital for you, yeah. who would love the chance. Um, we've got a guy in our church right now who for a season served on our board and him and his wife are retired. He had a successful business. He's on the other side of all that now. And uh, my executive pastor, Pastor Matt, recently just talked to him. They've helped some of some of the, the marriage uh, counseling in our in our church and done some premarital counseling, done some marriage counseling for us. And we ordained him to marry somebody in his family a couple years ago. And we realized, hey, he might really see this as an opportunity, him and his wife to pour into some young couples that are getting married. So we said, hey, would you be willing to do some weddings? He was honored. He was thrilled that we would even ask him to do that. And what, what I know and what excites me is they are now gonna have somebody that can pour into them in a way that maybe I couldn't for everybody. And so when it comes to care, establish that culture of care. I say culture because it's not just a policy in a handbook, okay? It's a culture of care, but you have to do it with, with people that, with people that care. Um, number five, and then we're going to get to some, some Q&A. This is an important one for everybody in this room. Please hear me when I tell you this, and I hope it encourages you. Measure the size of your reach, not just the people in your seats. This might be the most um, applicable thing I will share with you today that is specifically focused on pastoring in a small town. Um, I think that we are living in a world right now where it is possible that comparison is killing more pastors and churches than anything else. And it might not be happening outwardly in every case, but inwardly there are churches and pastors dying because of comparison. And a lot of us in this room tell our people, hey, when it comes to social media, it's a filter, right? It's, it's not showing you all the messiness behind the scenes. And we know that's true, but how many of us struggle on Easter Sunday, come on, can we just get real? With thinking, oh my gosh, look what God just did here. And then we start getting on social media and you're like, and let's be honest, we're scrolling down, we're like, they, they suck, they suck, they suck, they suck, they suck. No, that's not what I mean. They're awesome, they're awesome, they're awesome, right? And we struggle with it because we see, oh man, like I felt really good about what God just did here, but literally within minutes and at the refresh of a feed we are discouraged instead of encouraged and and I think that it is important for us this was talked about earlier today I promise you this was in my notes it's just amazing the holy how the holy spirit works we got to plow the ground we've already been given that's your job that's my job is to plow the ground we've already been given and second we've got to think percentages instead of numbers. So I want to get real practical with you for a minute about, about what this looks like and something that, that has really helped me, I feel, lead our church from a healthier place. Uh, there are numerous churches, numerous churches that had significantly more people than 2,109 exactly on Easter Sunday, okay? But here's why that number is significant to me in our context. We, we, we used to have more numerical goals. We're going to break 500 by this time. We're going to break 1,000 by this time. We got rid of that. It's all percentage-based now. And I think that when you move to more of a percentage-based format with growth, it helps you grow in a healthier way. Instead of just shooting for that next, hey, let's be a church of that size, it's no, how can we grow this in a healthy way? Well, here's something big behind the scenes in our church that we've always pursued and cared about. And we've talked about it a lot more over the last couple of years. And that's reaching 10% of the population of our city. 
the population of our city is 22,000 people. So listen, 2,109 people, that's awesome. And we're going to celebrate that. But what we're really celebrating and what we celebrated um, uh, literally two weeks after at a leadership night and what I celebrated with our staff and our team was, guys, we, we just, in an Easter Sunday morning, we just effectively reached 10% of our city. And that is a target that we have been aiming at. Now, now the goal is sustain it, right? So we got to keep going. We got to keep growing. We got to keep pushing. And we, we work like it depends on us and pray like it depends on God. That's, that's our motto. That's, that's how we do this whole church planning thing at center point. But at the same time, I think what can encourage a lot of us in the room is when you look at your city, don't just compare. It's, it's, it's crazy for you to compare yourself to a guy up the road that's in a town of 1.2 million people and you're in a town of 52,000 people and you're looking at his numbers. No, don't, don't do that because you know what might shock you? You might find out if you start thinking percentages, your reach is greater than their reach. And then it comes full circle when we realize that all of us are working on the same team together for the kingdom. Because it's not just about my reach and their reach, and it's not just about their attendance and my attendance. It is a kingdom thing. And as a church, especially those of us that are in small towns, guys, we have to play for the team name on the front of the jersey, not the church name on the back of the jersey. And I think that sometimes we get convinced that, hey, I'm never going to measure up. I'm never going to be good enough. But I'm telling you, it has been a shift for me, and I believe it will be a shift for you. If you start just trusting, God, I'm going to plow the ground you've given me. Whatever that ground is, that's what I'm going to plow. That You are not going to answer for what God called somebody to another city to do. You're going to answer for what he called your city to do. And I want to know that I plowed until I couldn't plow anymore in every forgotten city in Ohio that God called us to plant a life-giving campus for Centerpoint Church. That's what I want. God to look at me and say, well done, my, faith, my good and faithful servant for it. And he wants the same for all of us. And so plow the ground you've been given and think percentages instead of numbers. Okay, this is perfect. I stayed right on time with this, Pastor Mitch. Come on, bro. And it's really because you started me early and I had some margin built in. So thanks for that. Um, here's what we're going to do. Want to ask some Q&A, make this interactive. Uh, if you guys ask questions, we'll have a lot of fun with this. And Pastor Mitch is going to pick you and he will pass around the mic to you. It is very important you talk in the mic or they can't. Uh, get this um, on the audio recording for later. So who's got a question? I'll do my best. Right here, sir. Hello. Um, so hey, I know tell us your name my name is Noah, and I'm from Springfield, Missouri. Um, so I know that you mentioned uh, like the pastor that pulled you aside and said, hey, this will never work, you know, this, that, and the other. Um, what has your interaction with other pastors in your city, maybe just even outside your city, been since the beginning, like say what it was at the beginning, how you dealt with even that kind of a conversation, but then how is it even now? Are they looking to you? Are they coming and asking you questions or is it still kind of a little bit hesitant? Like, I would say that in our town, I have um, three to four pastors that I am in communication with on a fairly regular basis. And when I say fairly regular, celebrating Easter Sundays with them, celebrating, hey, I saw you did this. Hey, I saw you did that. We do a worship night. Some of them come. They do something. We might go. Um, we might send people to it. And so that, that number might sound small, but it was like this big when we started. Um, I think a lot of people were really skeptical of us. Part of, part of our story was coming from a background as a pastor's kid. My dad pastored a church in the middle of a cornfield 20 minutes from where we now are. And he passed away before we launched our church. Um, 
but my dad was such a believer in, hey, it takes lots of different churches to reach lots of different people. He was a legend in our community. And I think that when we started, he, my dad knew that what we were doing was totally different than what he did. And that's why he didn't ask me to come be on staff at his church. It was totally, what we were doing was, was totally different. Um, however, when people saw what we were doing for church, I think people tripped out about it a little bit. And, and they thought, man, this is, like, I don't even know what your dad would think about this. Like, this is so different than what your dad did. And I don't know um, if, if, this, if this is something he'd, he'd be cool with. And so what I tried to do, though, was I really have tried to be very honoring of the people that have gone um, bef before us. And I've tried to find opportunities where I can put myself in situations where maybe I'm completely out of my comfort zone. Like, listen, y'all, when I'm at ARC, I'm in my comfort zone. You, this is family here. And a lot of us feel that way. This is family, people that get you, connect to you, you can relate to. Um, we do something in our city every year. We do a national day of prayer at the courthouse. And that's a chance for me to go and interact with pastors that that might be in some of those cases, the only time I see some of them that year. And man, I just try to be super honoring of the people that have laid the framework to help get us where we are now. But it is difficult. And here's the other thing I think that we've learned with that. Um, and this might be like one of those things that you shouldn't say at an app session, but I'm going to say it anyway. <coughs> we've tried different things where we've tried to collaborate with churches. Gosh, I got to think about how to say this in a nice way. We care too much sometimes. Like we care more than other people care sometimes when it comes to the way we're going to do an event. Um, the, way, the intentionality and the detail we're going to put. So what we found, though, there's a bridge to this, and the bridge is you can either take the approach where you do it and it's for your church and nobody else, or you can do it where you try to get three or four other churches involved and it's a freaking disaster, right? Um, or you can take the approach of, hey, we're going to do this, but we're going to invite other people in to be a part of what we're doing, and we're going to acknowledge and celebrate that they're here, that they came, and that we're part of this thing together tonight. And so for us, that's allowed us, I think, to build a bridge. And that specific group of three or four I'm talking about, a lot of it has come from things like that, of either us being in their house when they did something or them coming to our house when we were doing something. And it's not been, hey, let me in and try to control this and do this. It's been more like, hey, we're going we're gonna to connect with something you're doing in your house, and they're going to connect with something we're doing in our house, and we're all better together as a result of it. But just be honoring and build bridges as best you can. Can we go right here first? How have you, uh, I'm John, I'm from uh, upstate New York. Uh, how have you moved uh, your congregation in a way, the, the expectation factor that you need to be at every event? <laughs> when you get to a certain size, uh, I've noticed when we were cresting over 100 that my ability to be at everything yep. all of the time is, is going to kill me. <laughs> yep. So how did, you, how did you move your people to, to get the understanding that, hey, you know what? I can't beat everything. Yeah. Um, it requires some difficult conversations, but most importantly with your leaders first. This goes back to another thing that um, created some of this anxiety even in our culture of like why are some of these things shifting? Sometimes as pastors we take for granted, hey, they're on board, they get it, they understand it, and they don't always. And so it starts with your leaders, whoever that core group is first, and then here's the second layer. You have to ask them to help until you have other people to help. You have to say, hey, I need some people that I can call when I can't go. 
And, and you need to have those people on standby that can go when you can't be there. And here's something I did say, um, it, for us, it was when we were crossing 200 that I just really felt anxious about it. Like we had already kind of started a shift, but I really felt it was overwhelming me. Uh, this fact that I can't be at everything anymore. I can't go to every hospital visit. And, and I actually, I, I chose the route at that time with the size of our church. I was sharing with our leaders privately, but I actually in a message once talked about it a little bit. And, and I told them, I actually did it in a, in a series on marriage and family. And I let them know, hey, as our church continues to grow, um, I just want you all to know I love you, but I love my wife and kids more. That's right. I do. And, and I feel like if I'm going to stand on this stage and tell you how to have a healthy marriage and raise your kids, I need to do that. And it's, it's amazing how much that freed me to say it and how many people on the other side of that were like, we, we get that. Um, another thing I did, and I would encourage you, a lot of you to do this. I talked about Pastor Jeff Capusta um, in here earlier. You need some overseers or some people that you can bring in that can say some of that to your people too. Um, I remember Pastor Jeff coming in when we were crossing the 500 mark, and he said some really harsh things to our volunteers <laughs> in a loving way. But one of the things he said, I'll never forget it. He said, a lot of y'all have been like, Pastor Chris has just been giving out his phone number, and he's not going to do that anymore. Like, and you're going to have, and he said this, he said, you're, if you're here um, because you, you want to know Pastor Chris, then you're here for the wrong reasons. You, you need to be here because you want to know Christ and make him known. I'll never forget when he said, it's like a mic drop moment, right? And I'm sitting there like, oh, that was so good. And I'm so glad he just said that, right? But that's part of it too. When it comes to kind of shifting that responsibility and that expectation of you, it's them hearing your heart, but it's also you bringing somebody in that has a heart for your house and a heart for you and is able to communicate that with your volunteers. Hey guys, we're going to be better because of this, but some things are going to change. Yeah, I'm Jason from LifePoint in Wilmington uh, again. Uh, the question that was sparked with that, with that first question, how crucial, because I remember hearing you tell the story of going into Chillicothe and getting set up, and having been to your church, you guys are awesome, and I don't see that happening in your, your town, in most other churches. How, how crucial, and was it crucial, to develop those relationships with other churches? Yeah, um, it was. And I think that certainly, you know, part of the challenge of doing church this way, a lot of you have probably heard the same kind of thing, like, oh, it's all about the show. You know, oh, it's all like we, we have people. I'll never forget. We, we did a we did a summer baptism um, first few years, probably, Pastor Matt. And we we baptized over 50 people in the city pool. It was public. I mean, people could see it. And the day after we posted a video recap of that baptism, I got a message from somebody and they said, you're lying. There's no way you baptize 50 people. You made that up. I've been following Jesus my whole life in this town, and I've never seen 50 people baptized in my lifetime, let alone at once. And I just had like this righteous indignation about me, right? Like, we showed you the video. There's different people getting dunked in this video. What are you talking about? But see that, I say that to say this. My defense, I'm a competitive person. And I know that about myself. And my defense mechanism when another pastor or somebody from another church is going to judge me and question me and challenge me goes up like this. Like, I'm ready to throw down, man. Like, you want to question my integrity? You want to question our character? You got to hit timeout on things like that. And you've got to understand that, again, it's about the church. And I think a really pivotal moment for us was doing our training at New Life Church and we went to a Saturday night services. By the way, this is like old ark days, guys, where we had to go on site with a newborn baby for nine days and learn from Pastor Rick and his staff, which, by the way, was phenomenal. But nine days we had to be gone to do this. 
And we went to a Saturday night service, and they did something that blew my mind. They prayed for another church from the stage. Prayed for another church from the stage. And it was like, as soon as they said the name of the church, I'm like, they, there's no way they even know who they are. It was like Evangelical Lutheran Association of America. You know what I mean? Like something crazy that you just knew. They probably don't even know each other. And so afterwards, um, we go out and we're, we're eating together because uh, that's what you do at ARC. You eat food and talk. And somebody asked Pastor Rick, hey, like, how do you guys pick the church? Keep in mind, this is like 10 years ago, okay? He said, we go through the phone book. We just pick a church. We just pick a church. We pray for them. We just want people to know that, that we're, we're building bridges and we're not just about our kingdom. And that was so monumental and pivotal for us. We started our church doing that and did it on a consistent basis the first few years of our church, really the first five, because we wanted everybody to know this is not just about us. And so internally, I constantly have to have conversations with Jesus still about why didn't this person care what we're doing? Why won't this person return my phone calls? Why won't this, like, why can't we learn and do more together? And at the same time, I think part of understanding, yeah, we've got this experience and we're doing what we do. And we don't apologize for that. We're doing church the way we do it. But we also want to make sure that we remember, and we say this still from the stage all the time, we're a small part of what God is doing in the bigger picture of Chillicothe and Ross County. We're a small part of it. And we just feel like it's, if you remind your people of that over and over again, we've had people that will literally tell us, I'm at your church because of that because you prayed for another church. I'm at your church because you said that from the stage. I'm at your church because I was somewhere else and all they did was bash other churches and you supported and praised other churches. Um, we did it on Easter. I, I called out um, four or five other churches in our town and said, let's pray for everything God's doing there this Easter, in our town. I mean, one of them a mile, a mile away. Um, and that sends, speaks volumes to your people when you do that. My name is Dale Sauls from Sanford, North Carolina, and um, Hattie, let's talk a little bit. In my town, we've been blessed to pastor one of the larger churches, so now, um, and I've been there a long time, so when we go grocery shopping, if we're going to go to eat, my kids are like, can we go to another town? <laughs> because, like, yeah. they know we're not going to eat breakfast because I'm going to constantly talk to somebody. We're not getting out of food line for 30 minutes because of, how is your family, how do, how do you manage that with your family and in, in a small town, you don't hide yeah pastor mitch is shaking his head yes because we've talked about this because he's seen this when he's been there um yeah that's a reality of of small town is that everybody knows you everywhere uh so just just actually two weekends ago i wasn't preaching the sunday after easter and um went attended the first service and kind of did the i ducked in and then i ducked out thing and i had our kids, and I actually had Matt Namer's oldest son. I was going to run him to a baseball game. So we're eating at McDonald's. And when we're eating at McDonald's, this person comes out of the bathroom, and they stop, and they said, Pastor Chris, man, I just loved your church. I started coming, blah, blah, blah. And one of my kids goes, Dad, you're, like, famous. <laughs> and Isaiah's like, huh, yeah, you are, right? And um, it's become something that as our kids, so to give you a little context, we've got a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, a 5-year-old, and they've all become more aware of it in this season that we're in right now. Like all of them become more aware of it. And they've also become more aware that there are people that know mom and dad, but mom and dad don't know them. <laughs> like we, we know that we know them, but we don't know them. And I, I think for us, something that we, that we made a decision on that we did not start our church doing, but we made a decision we were going to do it, we're trying to make sure our kids have as normal of a life as possible. And so that's resulted in some significant decisions we've made. For instance, in the early days, we would bring our kids on the stage. We stopped doing that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that was a personal thing where I felt like, and as we talked about it, we just wanted we wanted to take. We already felt like they're in this, like they're in a school right now where everybody knows who they are. And we don't want to put more pressure on them by putting them on a stage. And wow. we, we even had a debate. Um, we did a, a video, an invite for Christmas, and there was discussion about, we, it was a family video. So we had the kids in the video, but there was discussion about, should we have the kids in this video? Because it's going to go out, it's going to be public. And we decided in that case, okay, let's, let's do it. Um, but we had conversation about it. And so I think for us, it's, it's even resulted right now in, um, we've been in a house in town for a while, and we're moving to a house that's out of town so that we can have a little bit more privacy with our kids and just give them like there are people that know where we live now and they you know somebody might say hey i saw you at church we just want them to be away and normal and so um plus pastor's kids have a hard enough time being normal let's just all be honest i i am one i can say that all right uh, so I think it's being aware of whatever that influence is, the influence of your church grows in a small town, your kids are going to feel that pressure. And I think it's our responsibility as their parents um, to make sure that we're taking as much of that, that pressure off of them as we can so that they're not under a microscope. And then there's the, the parenting side of that. Then there's the marriage side. Um, something that, that Kristen and I actually do, we actually don't do a lot of date nights in Chillicothe. That's a good we don't. And, um, you know, listen, there's a big push right now everywhere. Like, I feel sometimes like we're cheating on our city. It's like, eat local, you know, shop local. And I'm like, but I want to not be a pastor tonight. (laughs) Um, And so a lot of times with that for us, that means Columbus is an hour away. A lot of times we drive to a little town that's about 15 minutes south of Columbus. It's about a 40, 45 minute drive for us. And that's where we have our date nights because nobody knows us there. And we can eat and we can watch a movie and we can shop at Target. Um, cause that's what you do in your small towns, right? You shop at target cause you might not have one in your town. And, and so, um, for us, those are just, those are just some things that, that we've done to try to protect our relationship. And then also with the kid piece, just acknowledging they do feel that pressure and we want to take as much of that pressure off of them as we can. So good. One more. Let's go right here. I got, you got time for two more? Yeah, probably. Okay. All right. I don't know. You're watching time, right? I don't know. <laughs> All right, my name is Muta. I'm from uh, Southwest Michigan, now it's Michigan, about seven minutes away from Notre Dame. Um, our situation, I'm glad you opened up with about loving your city, um, like you own the city. I'm a total transplant to my city. Uh, I tell people that uh, I'm not a church planner. God called me to plant a church in a specific city. But my wife is from big city Toronto. I'm from a beach town in Michigan, which is quite progressive, not talking about liberal or whatnot. I'm just talking about in just culture moving forward. Mm -hmm. And the city that I moved into is not that. It's the opposite of that. And a lot of times we find ourselves just a fish out of water. Like we, we, sports teams, right? Everybody there is a Notre Dame fan. I'm go blue all the way, you know? (laughs) Um, So it's, it's those types of things. How much of the culture must I adopt in the new city that I'm in in order to be effective or should I be, or should I even worry about that? First of all, go Bucks. Um, first of all, had to say it, had to say it. Um, what's your name, man? God is going to use you in your city. God is going to use you. You do you. You, do, you keep doing you, man, because God is going to use you in your city. Um, something that, that God is really dealing with my heart on right now in Chillicothe, okay, Chillicothe is 88% Caucasian. God has birthed a vision in my heart for more diversity in our church. 
And that might just be another 12% that's not white, but we're going to have that 12% that's not white. And I'm looking at what you're saying about your city and about feeling like you're a duck out of water. God's going to use you to connect with all kinds of people that feel the same way in your city. But he's not going to be able to use it if you are worried too much about um, how you need to relate to that culture and what you need to do. And so you do you, man. I just feel like I'm supposed to tell you that. You just do you. You keep doing you. And it might be slow and steady, okay? It might not be sexy and fast growth, and you might not have that story, and you might never be in the fastest growing churches. God's not worried about that. You do you, and God will send the right people to you. He will do that. And so do what you do, man. Do what you do. Scott Melson from Adamsville, Tennessee. Um, when you celebrate the percentage marks that you make, um, are there certain things that you do to maintain that? And then how do you celebrate that once you, you know, hit that, that level of uh, the percentage that you're desiring to hit? That's a, great, that's a great question. The guy right beside you should probably answer it. Um, but something, that's, something that we started doing um, and got really, we started doing it last year. We got really intentional about it this year was really putting these goals in front of our staff and our leaders and our team and celebrating those things. So every month we, we get all of our leaders and staff together and it's a time for vision and it's a time to also look at our goals and say, where are we at? Like, do we, are we good in some areas? Are we not good in some areas? Like, and what are we going to do to address those things and grow forward? Something that shifted this year for Easter. And I got to say this on the front end. I had to have her and him and our creative director who's not here really push me on this. We didn't actually celebrate that numerical number publicly this year. We celebrated that we had 55 people say yes to Jesus, though. That's what we celebrated. And that was it. Listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't celebrate that. Please understand me. And I argued with all three of them about it, by the way, about why we weren't going to do that. But what we did do internally was we celebrated it and we talked about why we were celebrating it. We're celebrating it because look at this milestone. Like, look what God just allowed our church to do. At the same time, here's another thing we celebrated. We had 2,109 people. We had 55 people say yes to Jesus. So you do the math. That means for one in every 38 people, somebody said yes to Jesus at an Easter service at Centerpoint. We celebrated that with our team. And and so when it comes to talking about those 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 growth barriers and what we're looking at, the answer to your question is we are talking about all of them every month um, with our with our team. And here's another thing that we did. Um, Pastor Matt, what's the name of the organization that we used that helped us? The Unstuck Group. Tony Morgan and the Unstuck Group. You guys need to look them up. They, they'll do a healthy growth church study for you, and here's what they do. A lot of the numbers that a lot of us would get from a typical study about the health of our church is wrong. Um, Pastor John said this this morning, and he is close to this number. It's it's right around there of like 96% of churches are either under 100 or under 200. A lot of us are looking at the health of our church based on a lot of churches that are under those marks, but a lot of us are on the cusp of something more than that or we're already over that. What this group does is they'll sit down and work up a customized study of your actual numbers in your church, and they'll tell you based on archetype of churches that are growing at a healthy rate and sustaining that growth, they will tell you, here's some healthy percentages you should have in regards to first-time guests, first-time guest retention, amount of baptisms, amount of salvations, amount of youth. I mean, it gets real specific. How many people are in small groups? And when we let them do that study for us, it gave us kind of the basis and the blueprint of, okay, these now just created our targets. Like this is what we're, this is what we're running after. This is where we need to get better. And, and so we, 
shared that with our team and we said, this is what we're, this is what we're running towards. Um, and so we talk about it. It's normal language in our culture now with our team as far as what those percentages are and, and where we're at. Let's do one more. We got one more. Yeah, one more. I don't know if it's in uh, your community, but in our community, we have a lot of tradition. Uh, a lot of our people really like tradition. Uh, they don't like Saturday night. You know, they really want you to do a Sunday night. We don't do Sunday nights. But, you know, how do you keep tradition in your church but still move to the modern-day church style? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> I will t- I, So I'm going to tell you on the front end of this answer that I know people that have done it the opposite way of what I'm about to tell you, and it's worked. And so you might have to really figure out what's going to work well in your city and in your community. Um, we are in a similar situation. We've got a lot of people um, that like tradition. Now, I say that, and two years ago, we did a Saturday night for Easter, and we thought nobody would show up, and so many people showed up that we thought nobody was coming on Sunday. Like, I I went to bed worried, okay? Um, Same kind of thing on Christmas Eve, and and here's something that we learned early on. Like year maybe two or three, right around there, we were all in for a Christmas Eve service, and we did. We're going to do candlelight, and we're going to do, like, traditional. And, we, and because we were saying what you're saying, we're saying this is something people in our town like. Here's the thing, though. They don't like it when we do that. They like it when the Methodist church does that. And so what we recognized through, through the form, by the way, of a very hard fail on Christmas Eve was we, we were not true to ourselves when we just did that. We were not true to ourselves. That was not who Center Point is. And so we're going to be who we are, even in every week, but also in those special moments. We're going to be the best version of us, and that is going to attract the right people that God wants to send there. And so what we stopped doing was recognizing there, there, there is a lot of traditional places people can go. I mean, they can go do a Mass on Christmas Eve at the Catholic Church. They can go to a Methodist church and do a midnight service. That, that is a thing at a Methodist church in our town. And they're packed. People, they can go and have a cantata. Remember cantatas? Um, they, can go, they can go to a cantata, but that's not who we are. Right. And so we're going to be who we are, and it's not. And what we what we say, we don't ever. I think this is an important thing. We don't downplay that stuff. We don't knock that stuff. That's we don't good. say, "Hey, we're glad you're here tonight." Yeah. Instead of the candlelight service, you know. Um, That's very good. As a matter of fact, I know that we had people last year. I know this about at least one family that was at our Christmas Eve service. I know they went to our service and then they went to a candlelight service later. They did both. That's fine. Um, but I think for us, we, we've had to learn through a lot of failure that when we try to embrace too much of that traditionalism, it really puts us in a corner of being something that we're not. And people aren't coming to center point for traditional. They're coming for something different. And so instead of trying to build a bridge, in, bridge with, hey, we're more traditional than you think, it's almost the opposite. It's like, hey, just be as unique as God's called you to be, and it'll attract the right people. They'll come. Come. Man, you guys have been phenomenal. This has been like like awesome. And here's the thing. I want to do this. This is crazy. Um, I want to get like a selfie with all of you because I want everybody to know that small towns are represented at art conference. Can we do that? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand up in this corner and y'all are going to like act as crazy as you possibly can behind me. There, we got the room. Woo! Your hands, make a face. Come on. All right. <laughs>
There we go. We got it. You guys are great. Listen, I'll be hanging up out here. And let me give you one more thing. For those of you that want to connect with me, a great way to do that, jump on Instagram and shoot me a message. I'm at Chris Van B. Just drop me a message. I will hit you back. At Chris Van B on Instagram. I'd love to talk to you. Come on, let's put our hands together for Pastor Chris. Come on. Pastor Chris is going to be up here for a few more minutes with his wife, Kristen. So any wives, any, anybody want to come ask questions? He's up here.